Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. I'm glad you're here this morning. You made it through the uh, ice apocalypse this morning. So glad that you're with us. I'm Pastor Jeremy. Uh, what a great morning to be together, to worship together as we continue our series called Best Year Ever. And I certainly hope over the last two weeks you're experiencing the best year ever. You haven't ruined it yet. Um, but I do want to remind you that as we dive into this series, really talking about prayer and, and how we might set that best year ever up, uh, that our week of prayer is coming up January 22nd uh, through 28th, like Matt mentioned. Please stop by the table today and pick up uh, this book, Praying with Confidence, by a pastor friend of mine, uh, Jeff Leak. It's a great uh, primer for prayer. Um, there's an intro that, that'll kind of get you going, and then there's a, a 31-day devotional. So it really isn't meant to sit down and read it in one sitting. It, it's meant to take you day by day into a deeper uh, level of prayer where you really feel like you're praying with confidence. And I know uh, having had this book for over a year now and used it uh, several times, it has done that. It's, it's really easy for me to be able to follow kind of the, the layout and the structure of the different kinds of prayer. So we've made these available in the foyer for $5. That's not the retail cost, but that's what we wanted to make it available to you for so the most people uh, can uh, make use of it. Uh, you can tell I've used mine up. It's got different notes and pages and highlights and got a little girly uh, bookmark from my kids, I think. Yeah, so... Uh, Always good to have. So make sure you make uh, use of that. But also join us January 22nd for our night of praise and worship as we kind of launch our 24-hour week of prayer. And you can sign up. You can go online uh, and just click on, on that link and it'll take you to Sign Up Genius. And you can sign up for one, one slot. You can sign up for several slots. I happen to just pick the, the same time each day for the, the whole week. And uh, certainly you can do whatever works for your schedule. So as we've talked about the best year ever and how we might see that happen, we're using the Lord's Prayer to sort of guide us in in making it the best year ever through prayer. I believe that's where your best year is going to start, is through prayer. And and if you were with us New Year's Eve, if you weren't, you can get the podcast online. But New Year's Eve and, and New Year's Day, we talked about setting the atmosphere for the new year. Most people set resolutions or goals for the new year, and those are good. But I think there's something to be said about setting the atmosphere or even changing the atmosphere. What what is it in your life that you want to see change? And we said, if you want to set the atmosphere for the best year ever, start with worshiping God. Isn't that where the, the Lord's Prayer puts us? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. We worship your name. There's no name like that name. It's holy. It's hallowed. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We're asking that God's and the dimensions that he reigns in, which is certainly more than the dimensions we live in, I'm asking that how his will is always done perfectly in heaven, I want that kind of atmosphere to invade my life and change the atmosphere, set the atmosphere for my life. And I I believe it starts with worshiping, acknowledging God and his glory. And then last week we talked about The next part, give us today our daily bread. It certainly is an appeal for sustenance. Uh, Really, the basics of life, I need to eat. The Lord understands our need for the basics of life and 
And while that is certainly a petition for him to be the provider of those things, it goes so much more than that. The psalmist says, I need more than my daily bread. I don't want just daily bread. I want your presence. And, and that's what we talked about. But the bread really represents Jesus, the bread of life. All who would come to him would, would never hunger. They would, they would never have need of anything else. And what about you and your life? Are you turning to God for not only the sustenance of your daily life, but the very spiritual bread that you could feed upon and never grow hungry? The desires for everything else would fade. What about this morning as we look at being set free? Because the next part says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do you ever come to that part in Matthew chapter 6? That's where we'll be this morning. If you have your scriptures, you can open them up or turn them on. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching on prayer. This was never meant to be a mindless resuscitation of of words. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come, it will be done. Right? It's not what it's meant to be. Some of my friends going to... uh, School in their their uh, private school, they they were required to say so many our fathers as as punishment. (laughs) I don't think that's how it's supposed to be taught. But it's it's a seeking of God's presence, and I think Jesus is teaching us how to get that atmosphere, and He's giving us this framework, this this skeleton by which we can build our prayers upon. But I'm always confounded when I get to the part that says, forgive me my debts as I forgive my debtors. Because I I really don't want Jesus to forgive me like I forgive others. And I don't think you do either. Because the truth is I fail often to forgive. Mainly because I don't want to. It's hard. It's painful. If you knew what they did to me, you'd understand. And, you know, God, if you, you know. So Augustine calls it the terrible petition. Isn't that fitting? The terrible petition. This prayer that really is supposed to be a blessing can actually be a curse. Lord, forgive me as much as I forgive others who've hurt me. What's the reality of that? Think about it for a second. Think about that person who's harmed you. You see their face, right? Their feed pops up in your Facebook and you only are friends because you don't want to unfriend them and you know, really get upset. But every time you see them, emotions rise up. Those circumstances come flooding back. It's the terrible petition. Jesus goes on to explain at the end of the Lord's prayer on this teaching, he goes further to reiterate the importance of this concept. In verses 14 and 15 of Matthew 6, he says, for if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, their sins against you, your father will not forgive your sins. That's tough. It's reinforced by the other teachings throughout the gospel and the rest of the New Testament. In fact, a chapter before this, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is giving the Beatitudes, which is a great teaching on its own, and he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. 
this yin and yang of forgiveness. On the front side, we, we want forgiveness, but forgiving is hard. Noted teachers of Scripture agree with Augustine. John Wesley, many of you know him. He was serving as a missionary to the American colonies. He had an encounter with General Oglethorpe, it's recorded. And he was a man of pride. Wesley was pleading with the general to forgive a man who he'd dealt extreme consequences to a minor infraction. And in what's recorded as a particularly prideful moment, Oglethorpe lashed out to Wesley and said, I never forgive. And Wesley replied to him, I hope, sir, you never sin. Wesley knew that if we make an unforgiving spirit a virtue, we cannot be forgiven. We are unable to receive or accept or even understand what forgiveness is. Common Watson, the noted Puritan, said, A man can as well go to hell for not forgiving as for not believing. Mm, I'll only read that once. Charles Spurgeon agreed in his sermon when he said this, Unless you have forgiven others. You read your own death warrant when you repeated the Lord's Prayer. It's as much a blessing as it is a curse. I I really like what C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, wrote. He said, no part of Jesus' teaching was clear, and there are no exceptions to it. He doesn't say that we are to forgive other people's sins, providing they are not too frightful, or providing they are, are extenuating circumstances. We are to forgive them all, however spiteful, however mean, however often they are repeated. If we don't, we shall be forgiven none of our own. The Lord's Prayer can bless us or curse us. Think about if you put it in these words. Lord, I pray you deal with me and my sins against you the way I deal with other people and their offenses against me. I would take it back. I was just kidding. <laughs> Lord, I, I despise that person so much. I am going to exact revenge. And, and I pray that you would do the same with me. <laughs> Nobody prays that. But isn't that what we're asking? We're saying, Lord, forgive me as I forgive. I really don't know which comes first, the chicken or the egg in this matter. But it's clear that both must happen. First, there must be the act of confession. We must deal with our own need for forgiveness. And this is hard. But can I say that confession is the act of admitting and agreeing with God about things he already knows about you? You're not surprising him? (laughs) You did what? God knows, right? Any of you have a mother that seemed to have eyes in the back of her head, right? And she would ask questions like, is there anything you need to tell me? Uh, Apparently there is. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what confession is. When we go to God, you're not telling him new information. You're not giving him the latest gossip on your life. You're coming into agreement with what he already knows about you. You're a sinner. You need his grace. You need his 
forgiveness. Confession is the act of humility. (laughs) When I come to God, I'm saying, I owe you a debt. Forgive us our debts. You ever wonder how much that debt is? I used to be a bill collector, so this is kind of my area of expertise. You call somebody up, they usually want to know how much is the debt. Then they want to know where to send the payment, and then they usually say the check's in the mail. (laughs) But here's the deal. How much do you owe God? Can you measure it? It's impossible to measure. There's no way that you can uh, accurately measure the infinite amount that you owe God. It cannot be paid back. Right? But isn't that how our human minds work? We're trying to figure out how much we owe so we can figure out how much good we need to do to pay that off. As if it's just a give and take. Well, you know, I, I did that many sins, and so it just makes sense that I've got to walk this many old ladies across the street. You know what I mean? It, it would be a never-ending cycle because we can't pay off that kind of debt. There's no way for you to heap up your good deeds, your righteousness, to meet the requirements of God. Do you know what the requirements of God are? Is it just to be good, right? How many of you have ever said that? Well, you, know, you just got to be good and I'll get to heaven, right? Who's good? What's good? What, it's all relative. What does God require? Perfection. When you get there, let me know. God requires perfection. And our sins are great, the Bible says. Listen, our sins aren't just the things that we do wrong or bad. We've said this time before. We think of sin as, well, I knocked over the vase and it broke, and so I did something bad. But that's not really the issue. That's just a, uh, a sign of something deeper. Our sin is our rebellion towards God. We said it a couple weeks ago. We don't want to acknowledge that we're the one who wants to control our lives. We want to sit on the throne of our life and not let Jesus. And so that is the ultimate sin that we have. It all points back to that. Everything else is just symptoms of a greater disease. We are guilty of what we have done, and we are guilty of what we have left undone. We call them the sins of commission, the things I willfully do, and the things that I just fail to do because I'm lazy, I don't want to, I don't like you, some of you. Do you understand? This is way deeper than just things that we do wrong or bad. This is a disease that has infected every action that we have because we are the kings of our life and we want our kingdom to come. And that's the greatest sin. And so our debt is eternal. And the depth of our sin requires the payment of a life. And if it is not yours then whose will it be? Jesus. Since the size of the debt could only be written by someone with enough in his bank account, God himself wrote the check for the debt we owed him. Imagine if someone killed your loved one and could not afford an attorney and you paid for their defense. I don't think so. My love doesn't go that deep. But isn't that what God is requiring of us when we forgive? Because he has provided for us 
Most people don't have a problem with Jesus or the Bible. I mean, it's all good stuff in their mind, but people stop short when we say all have sinned and fallen short of what God requires, which is perfection. Do we have any sinners in the room? Let me see your hands. Okay, some of you are honest. The rest of you are liars, which make you, what? guess what? A sinner! <laughs> right? But, but, but it's all relative, because we look at the person sitting next to us and we go, <laughs> I am not as bad a sinner as they are. Look at the person and say that. I'm not as bad as you. <laughs> now tell them, I'm a better sinner. Wait, no, hold on, hold on. I don't know. Does that make you a worse sinner then? I don't know. Right? But that's kind of how we view it. Like God graves on a curves or something. Like, oh, well, I'm not as bad as them and I'm not as good, but I'm kind of, I'll be there. I'll make it. God doesn't grade on a curve. It's pass or fail. We are desperate people in need of his forgiveness. We don't know the depth and darkness of our own sin because it's deeper and darker than you and I can ever imagine or ever admit. And we don't want to say the words, I'm a sinner. But that's where confession starts. And please, in our small group, we had a rule that you could not say these words. Well, no one's perfect. We know that. We've seen you. Right? You can't, you can't say that. You can't, well, nobody's perfect. Yes, there is one who is perfect. His name is Jesus. And if you put your faith in him, his perfection gets transferred to you. His righteousness gets credited to your account and your debt is paid off. Somebody give me an amen. Amen. That's what faith is. Faith is believing that what Jesus did in his perfect life, in his suffering for you and me, and ultimately his death, is he took care of that. Sin forgiven relationship with God the Father restored. That's not even in my notes. That's just free right there. (laughs) Philip Riken, in in a blog I was reading in my studies from Legionnaire Ministries, wrote it this way. Jesus has taught us to ask our Father to help us. Our Father, we are to pray, forgive us our debts. With these words, we declare our moral bankruptcy, freely admitting that we owe God more than everything we have. Then we ask him to forgive us outright. And because he is a loving father, God does what we ask. When we go to him way down with the debt of all our sin, he does not sit with us to work out a payment plan. Instead, he offers full and free forgiveness immediately. When God remits our debts, he is well within his legal rights for the scripture says that he took our sin away, canceling the record of debt that stood against us by nailing it to the cross. This vivid image corresponds to the way debts were sometimes canceled in the ancient world. When a debtor finally paid off all his debts, his creditor would strike a nail through the certificate of debt. In the same way, when Christ died on the cross, God drove a nail right through the infinite debt of our sin. There are no longer any outstanding charges against you. Amen. The word forgiveness here literally means the wiping out of or the blotting out, it can neither be remembered nor read ever again. Martin Luther said, if we find confession and repentance intolerably traumatic or, or remaining, it means the heart is not right with God and cannot draw confidence from his gospel. I like what Tim Keller adds in his 
writings on prayer. He says, if confession does not produce an increased confidence and joy in your life, then you don't understand the salvation by grace, the essence of faith. So when I pray, God, give me today my daily bread and forgive me, I need much more than I could ever ask, and yet he freely gives both. Give me grace. Did you say that word? Grace. It's in this moment of confession. And we like to think of confession as a private act, right? Why? Because we don't want anybody to know our sin, our secrets. But confession is actually a corporate discipline. We do it every Sunday morning. We gather together, and after proclaiming God's goodness and his grace and his mercy and his power, we sing songs about how desperately we need him, his love and his mercy in our lives. That's an act of confession. Or when we have prayer together. But it's much deeper than that. You need to find a small group. You need to find people that you can go to. As the Bible says, if we confess our sins one to another, we will be healed. Because we are the body of Christ, and when one part of the body hurts, it's going to affect the whole body. So we go to the other parts of the body and say, Help me heal. Hold me accountable. Help me overcome. God is faithful. There's power in the body of Christ. I'm going to close with this. We forgive, or we are forgiven as we forgive those who have debts with us. If I'm unable to forgive, I have missed the heart of the matter. Well, Pastor Jeremy, you don't know what that person did. That's right. I, I probably don't, but their act is nearly inconsequential. You know, when you ask God for forgiveness, he doesn't consider the act. It's good to be specific in your confessions, but when you confess and when you receive forgiveness, God isn't just forgiving you for the act. He's forgiving you for the deceit, uh, for your heart that has been deceitful and rebellious because it's all about the heart. And when someone has hurt you, whether intentionally or unintentionally, when you forgive, you're saying, I forgive the heart from which it came from, one that might be hurt or wounded, one that hasn't experienced the grace of God that I have, and so I will show the grace of God. When you fail to forgive, you bind the hands of God to his promise to forgive you. John Piper said it this way, there are no unforgiving people in the kingdom of God for none who fail to forgive will ever enter the kingdom. That's the reality. Unforgiveness, the debt we feel people owe becomes a burden, a poison, a cancer to us. And so we forgive. In fact, this is the one thing we owe God, not out of debt, but out of gratitude for his grace to us. We extend it to those who have offended us. And when you grant forgiveness, the chains come off of you. The hands come off, handcuffs come off of you. Forgiveness leads to freedom because now you are free to love again. Martin Luther King Jr., whose day we celebrate tomorrow. A man who, if had any reason not to forgive for all of the injustice committed against him, chose to forgive.
And he penned these words. We must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power of love. When we discover this, we are less prone to hate our enemies. For there is some good in the worst of us and some evil in the best of us. He would go on to say, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a constant attitude. to live in grace like that. I want to close with this story. I stumbled upon it in my studies the last couple of weeks of a man named Richard Wormbrand. His experience would take him to the prisons of communist Romania at the time. And lying in a prison cell reserved for those who were dying, he had this experience. The story goes that In the cot on his right was a pastor who had been beaten so badly that he was about to die. And on his left was the very man who had beaten him, a communist who was later betrayed and tortured by his comrades. One night, the communist awakened in the middle of a nightmare and cried out, Please, pastor, say a prayer for me. I have committed such crimes. I cannot die. The pastor feebly got up, stumbled past Wormbrand's cot, and sat beside the bedside of his enemy. As he watched, Warren Brand saw the pastor caress the hair of the man who had tortured him and speak these amazing words. I have forgiven you with all of my heart, and I love you. If I, who only a sinner can love and forgive you, more so can Jesus, who is the Son of God and who is love incarnate. Return to him. He longs for you much more than you long for him. He wishes to forgive you much more than you wish to be forgiven. Just finished, the two men prayed together, embraced, and then returned to their beds where each died that very night. When you understand at what great lengths God has gone to forgive you, you find it much easier to release forgiveness to other people. To let the debt that they owe, I think this is the fear of people. What if, if I forgive them, I'm just letting them off the hook, and then they'll get away with it. Nobody gets away. You're just taking them off of your hook and putting them on God's hook. My, uh, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And so I trust that God will always take care of justice. Because in the end, he will set it all right. He will set it all perfect once Again, And I can be free from fear and pain and bitterness. I can be free to grow because I'm not wasting my energy trying to collect that debt, trying to be mad at that person, trying to seek revenge because there's not much money in the revenge business. That's good. It's from a movie, forgive me. If you're like me, you have a great memory of how people have hurt you and you forget how you've hurt others, right? I think we would all be better off if we were more offended by our own sin than the sins of others. Grace and mercy. May those be at our right hand and our left to give people what they don't deserve and not give them what they do deserve. Because at one point when you declared faith in Christ, he granted you grace. He gave you the life you don't deserve did not give you the life you do deserve. Would you stand with me this morning as we close? 
Forgiveness is one of those things that, like on the back of the shampoo bottle, it says lather, rinse, repeat. (laughs) If you're not getting the desired effect, keep doing. Keep confessing. Keep forgiving. Keep walking in grace and humility. Forgiveness is a spiritual decision. Now, it's based on things that have happened to you physically or emotionally, but ultimately it's a spiritual decision. You're saying, I'm going to choose the truth about the scripture and release this person. You're probably wondering why I have duct tape. I am too. See, every time you fail to forgive, every time someone hurts you and you, you make that memory of it. Well, some of you already know where I'm going with this. You, you take that hurt and you find a place in your life to stick it on there. Oh, I should have done that. And then you mark it. Oh, that was Susie. January 15th, she hurt me. Those words, I can't believe she did that. Every time you see it, you're reminded that Susie hurt you. Every time you see your face, I have one of two things. In fact, I think I might leave that on there for a while because if I take that off, right, you can do one of two things. You can leave it, and every time you see it, it's a little uncomfortable, but I could probably live with it. Or I can, I'm just trying to figure out how how I want to take this off. Or I can take it off, right? Can I just say forgiveness isn't easy? It hurts. Praise Jesus. I like that hair. I just had this thought, like, when the pain of forgiveness seems so great, I think of, I want to think of Jesus and the pain of the cross. To, To the point that he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Like, he felt the depth of our sin separation but then I think the Bible calls it the balm of Gilead it's that healing oil that you only experience when you forgive and you let it go and then that's where that's a space that God can come in and that's when you experience healing you never experience the healing while you're still holding on to the bitterness and the pain so maybe like me this morning, you find yourself, let's just say we're all in the same boat. We are in need of forgiveness and we need to forgive. And so maybe with me this morning, you'd raise your hands as a sign of humility and surrender and say this prayer with me. Father, forgive me for everything I've done against you. Through my actions, I've hated you and I've despised you and I've rejected you and yet you still loved me. You sent Jesus to live the perfect life that I could not live. He suffered in my place and he died to pay my debt but you gave me grace 
and new life and forgiveness. And I receive that today. And help me to forgive. I forgive. I forgive those who owe me something. I I forgive those who offended me. I forgive those who've hurt me. And I release them to you this morning. It's your debt to collect, Father. You're perfect in all your ways. Let justice and peace reign in my life. Do you feel that this morning? Do you feel the healing power of the Spirit of God when you release that? God is a giver. When you give away the debt, he's going to fill it with something better. Ain't nobody in my life ever said, I wish I had more debt. Mm-mm. Let me tell you, bill collecting is a tough business and you never break even. Father, would you bless your people today? From the newest believer to the person who's walked with you for 30 years, would you bless your people with a spirit of gentleness that same spirit that you said in Galatians 5.22, if we walk in your spirit, we would have the evidence of love and joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of goodness, of faithfulness, of gentleness, and of self-control. Would you exhibit that in our lives this week as we continue to have the best year ever because it's your year and we give that year to you? Do your work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I love you. Thank you for being here this morning, for making the trek out. God is always faithful when you put a little extra effort into it, isn't he? I hope you have a great week. Hey, we're so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information, please email us at nextsteps at c2church.com or visit us at c2church.com.